As we uh, come together, we're continuing our series on the Minor Prophets. We'll be in Micah, <clears throat> Micah chapter 4 this morning. I just want to thank our, our, uh, our music teens for helping us lead. They put a lot of work into practicing and planning throughout the whole week. So if you haven't, just say thank you to them at some point. Uh, for, and praise God for all the gifts and talents that God has given us through them. So Micah chapter 4 says this. It shall come to pass on the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains. And it shall be lifted up above the hills, and people shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples. And shall decide for strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares. And their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against a nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree. And no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. For all the peoples walk each in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. In that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away and those whom I have afflicted. And the lame, I will make the remnant and those who were cast off a strong nation. And the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion. For this time forth and forevermore. And you, O tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come. The former dominion shall come. Kingship for the daughter of Jerusalem. Now why do you cry aloud? Is there no king in you? Has your counselor perished? That pain seized you like a, a woman in labor. Wreath and groan, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor, for now you shall go out from the city and dwell in the open country. There shall go, you shall go to Babylon. There you shall be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. Now many nations are assembled against you, saying, Let her be defiled and let her eyes gaze and let our eyes gaze upon Zion. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. They do not understand his plan, that he has gathered them as sheaves to the threshing floor. Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will make you your horn iron. And I will make your hooves bronze, and you shall beat in pieces many peoples, and shall devote their gain to the Lord, for wealth to the Lord of the whole earth. And this is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father God, we're just coming to worship you. As we open up your word, this isn't a pause in our worship, but this is a continuation as we gather to see how you have revealed yourself in your word. And Lord, we pray for those of other churches who are gathering at this moment to do the very same thing. Specifically, Lord, we pray for West, West London Alliance, Lord, as they gather and 
praise you as Pastor Jude praises your name through the preaching of your word. But God, I pray that as I come here to preach, Lord, I pray by your spirit that you would help me to preach this sermon with what is needed. Use this sermon, God, to bring glory to your name, joy to your people, salvation to the lost. And amen. So, chapter 4, you're probably thinking, oh, finally, there's a little bit of a break in all this judgment stuff. Well, here it is. For all those people who may have been like, oh, man, pastor, when are you going to preach something that's nicer? This would be it. This is it. All right? There's always a resolution in the word of God. It's not always judgment, judgment, judgment. Now we have salvation, salvation, salvation. It's an amazing passage. God has been sending out judgment for the last three chapters, but suddenly the tone changes in chapter 4. And there's an amazing, amazing description of God's salvation of his people. And this is something that I keep coming up with in my mind as I study through these minor prophets, is that God breaks us. He does. There's no way around it. He breaks us. But he doesn't leave us broken. He breaks us to mend us, to bring us back together. And we see that very vividly in these passages here. Because this first thing as we look at here is that building a kingdom, that God is building a kingdom to rise above them all. He says it, you know, this is a hard time. You know, the text doesn't beat around the bush. This is a hard time. But for the Christian, there's always hope. For the people of God, there is always hope. See, because it says this, it shall come to pass in latter days. These are the days after the judgments. If we're going to go further into the New Testament, these are the days of Jesus Christ. These are the days when God delivers his people from the judgment he's been pouring out on them. These are the days we're looking forward to. These are the final days. These are the days that look beyond the judgments that we've been reading about in the first three chapters. And God's kingdom will rise above it all. As Micah continues on, he describes that the mountain of the house of the Lord... See, in the previous chapters, if there's anything that we have learned is that the people of God had defiled the house of the Lord. But this is not, and God has destroyed it. Annihilated it. But this isn't just Israel's house. This is not the people of God's house. This is God's house. And he will build it again. He will establish it again. This was God's mountain. It wasn't just for their name that that was at stake here. It was also God's name. And God's saving work would not be thwarted even by human sin. This is what we see. God pours out judgment because of human sin. But God's promises are never broken. They continue on. There's no way you can say to God, Hey, God, you know, uh, your plan got derailed here. Sorry. No. God is sovereign. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. Nothing can derail his plan. And his house will be built on the highest of mountains. 
See, in ancient times, when people would build uh, temples to pagan gods, they would build it on top of mountains or hills. They would find the highest point that they possibly could find, and that's where they would build this temple because it would be closer to God. But what does God say here? The highest of mountains. My house will be built on the highest of mountains. It was where heaven would meet earth. And God wants us, and Micah wants us to see that time will show that Israel's God is our God. He is Yahweh. He is the great and true God. He is to be exalted above all the pretenders and all the fakers out there. He will crush the fake news. And as God begins to build his kingdom, you see in verse 2 that many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountains of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. Nations will come as the highest peak. It will draw people, not just to see, but to climb it. That is why we preach God's word. Because it draws people with an irresistible power of his grace. Jesus talked about this in John 12, verse 32. There's no other religions that are compatible with what we see in the Bible. None. Anyone who seeks God through any other means than by faith in Jesus Christ is very deluded. There's no other way to God. We're called to advance the one true faith through the spreading of the gospel. And people will flock to it. And people will come to him. And when we look throughout history, though, I got to kind of wonder about these things, about this prophecy that's beginning to unfold here, because it's not exactly that peachy right now. Because even though God calls a remnant out of Babylon to build a new temple, it's nothing in comparison to the old one. Nothing. So what's up with that? In Luke 24, 27, according to Jesus, the Old Testament from Moses through the prophet, all of it is fulfilled in his coming. It's all about Jesus. He is the temple that they will try to destroy and he will build in three days. As we continue on, verse 2, as the people are gathering together, he may, God comes and he may teach us his ways. As the people come to the highest of the highest to see the only one true God, they will be so dissatisfied with their previous ways. God will judge them, not as in judging, like condemning, but judging in terms of correcting. And God himself will come and he will correct his people and the people of the world as they come and gather. And God will speak truth, and a transformation will happen. They will give up war. Imagine that. See, there's a change that happens when God exposes the truth to someone. It's not a choice. It happens. Desires change. Hearts change. It's impossible to remain the same when you encounter the one true God. And that is what's happening with these people. And the outcome of this is that their lives begin to change. 
He will judge them, and they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. A nation shall not lift up sword against a nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Like, that's an amazing picture. Like, have you read the news or watched it? This is nothing but depressing. And God comes along and says, in the latter days, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. And in verse 4, they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree. See, the outcome of this change that happens the outcome of the changed ways is a beautiful picture of rest and peace. See, in the previous three chapters, there has been no rest and peace. None. As the people walk away from God, as they reject God, all there is is war and turmoil. That's it. Judgment. But as God comes and he establishes his mountain, the highest of them all, and the people come and flock, war goes away. Desires begin to change. My desire isn't for myself anymore, but to glorify God. And because of that desire, that change that happens, there is now rest and peace. Just picture that. A couple weeks, I'm going out to my cottage. Oh, I'm resting. No, I was talking to some people who just got back from their cottage. They were resting too in the midst of the cloud of mosquitoes. But they shall come and they shall rest. It's like, I don't know, I was thinking about this and the picture that came to my mind was like, I don't know, maybe because I really want one of these, but a hammock, you know? And they're just like, they're just, they can sleep and they can rest. See, the outcome of a changed life is a change of desires. And what comes from that changed desire is is a practical application of rest. That's what faith is. It's it's resting. As we continue on, the people will walk. See, in verse 5 it says this, For all the peoples walk, each in the name of its God. The outcome of the rejection of God is unrest, peace, and no Sorry, war and no peace. But, I love that statement, but we will walk in the name of the Lord. See, the outcome of following Christ is peace and rest. Notice I don't say easy, but peace and rest. Not only between each other, but between God and man. That's the gospel. There is a holy God. And we have sinned against our holy God. Our due right punishment for that sin is punishment is hell itself. But thanks be to God, there's a but statement in that. Because God, being rich in mercy, saves us through His Son, Jesus Christ, that whoever may confess that Jesus Christ is both Lord and Savior will be saved. Not maybe, will. And because of that confession, if it is true conversion, there is rest and there is peace. God will use our voices and your voice, your prayers, your financial contributions, your witness, so that many people, one at a time or many together, will see the glory of the Lord exalted in Jesus Christ. They will come to God through faith in the gospel. 
will learn his ways and will in turn say to those around them, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that, we may t- that he may teach us his ways, that, that we may walk in his paths. You know, brothers and sisters, you may look around and all you see is hopelessness. How can things get worse? How can they get any better? And they may get harder, but we rest in the supremacy of Christ. And that's what this is saying. God will come and he will establish his mountain. It will be higher above all things, all gods. In our society, it's money, it's prestige, it's whatever else. On Amazon, there's a whole show, documentary called American Greed or something like that. I had to turn it off because it was inappropriate, but... The opening was just like, I can't believe the slavery that people are in, the bondage. There's no rest in that God. The rest is in Jesus Christ. See, God is building a kingdom that will rise above them all, and he does that with a motley crew, not the band. See, God is building a kingdom with a motley crew. In verses 6 to 7, we see this. In that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame. In that day, in what day? The latter days. God will gather, he will assemble. God transforms a group of motley survivors of the judgment into, into the beginning of his new kingdom. It's a beautiful thing. And God will do that. Do you see that? I will assemble the lame. Nobody else will. I will. See, in the previous chapters, all we see is shepherds and leaders and spiritual leaders devouring the people of God, eating them, cannibalistic. You remember the pictures that were being written about in the previous chapter, in chapter 3. But God is not that. He gathers the broken. He gathers the lame. And he will do it. And he will gather those who have been driven away and those whom I have afflicted. Through God's people, even though God's people have been driven away and God has punished them, they will be assembled and gathered together. God will not forget his promises. He will rescue and renew his people. God may break you, but he won't leave you there. He will bring you back. And I will make them a remnant. And God does this because of his promises. God is a covenant-keeping God. He is a promise-keeping God. It is God who brings about this transformation that is needed, that happens through. And he will take this motley crew, this lame, these driven away, these people who have been afflicted by God himself, and he will establish a what? A strong nation. Not a little weak, little tinky little one. A strong nation. God looks at his weak and scattered people and declares, I will make the remnant a strong nation. See, the Bible tells us that God's people will be strong and victorious over history. It may not seem like it now. But Jesus said to his church, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I believe that. 
Because God is a promise-keeping God. His word tells us that over and over and over again. The church has this amazing ability to withstand assault from within and without. But the church doesn't withstand it because it is strong, but because of the God, because of God's preserving grace. It's God's church. It's God's people. And he's the one that made the promise, the gates of hell will not prevail. You know, I look throughout our, our history, I, I look through the news, I, I look in our own country and I go, oh man, what is happening? You know, you, you just don't know. You feel like you're losing, don't you? I do, sometimes. How do I counteract that? The church seems so weak and helpless. How do I counteract those things? I look to the promises of God. I look to Jesus' own words, the gates of hell will not prevail. Even though it may seem like the church is weakening here in Canada and maybe in the, definitely in North America, you know in Iran the church is booming? That's the place that we thought the church was going to get snuffed out. But the Christianity is growing. China apparently is going to be the largest Christian nation in a few years. Not the U.S., China. I'm old enough, I'm still young, but I'm still old enough to remember praying for that country. God does amazing things. He is the God of the impossible. Nothing is impossible for God. See, the church has this amazing ability to withstand assault from within and without, but the church doesn't withstand it because it is strong, but because of God's preserving grace. God is the one who takes a broken, motley crew and he uses them to build his kingdom. The people who don't have it together, and I was convicted of this very much so this week. See, God doesn't use the strong or the ones that look like they have it all together, the ones who think that they can, or the ones that they think they have it all together, or the ones that think that they don't need God. God uses the lame. He uses the weak, the broken, the ones that know that they can't do it without God. And he gathers them together and builds his kingdom. When we rely on anything else but God to build his church, we have idolized that person, that program, that music style over the God who alone builds his kingdom. Let us rest in the God who uses a motley crew to build his kingdom. The God who gathers the lame and the broken and the weak and gives him gives them the strength the healing to build his kingdom. It's so easy. There are so many churches that are concerned with status, prestige, and size, as well as for hoping to attract the right type of person. But when I look at this and what God is doing, those thoughts and actions are opposed to what God does. The lame the exiles, the blind, the nothings of this world are what are the materials that are used to make the kingdom of God. 
Because when we put our hope, I was praying for this this week, God, I pray that you do something great at Knollwood so that we can all look back and only say it was all God. Because for the second we come together and we say it was this program or this method or whatever else, we've idolized it. We've made that the God and not God. It is God who builds his kingdom, not me, not you. Let us rest in that, in who he is, and what he has done for us. Martin Luther said it, God created the world out of nothing. As long as you are not yet nothing, God can make something out of you. Ain't that the truth? We can't forget our roots, where we come from. We are a motley crew of a community. We're misfits. We don't have it all together. And any church that looks like they have it all together is lying to your face. Because they don't either. Talk to their pastor. We are a motley crew of a community that's not just made of the crippled, but also of the crucified, living out of its weaknesses. The, crush, the Christian then becomes strong and, and a mighty nation over whom the crucified God rules. He is the God of the broken. He gathers the lame and the broken. He makes them into a remnant, a people for himself, and uses them to change the world. Have you looked at the disciples? They were messed up. The apostles, Paul, was going around killing other Christians. Look throughout history. Look at the people God uses. He doesn't use the strong. He uses the weak, the ones who come to God and say, God, I can't do this. Help me. I can't do it, but I know you can. You know, I had to confess these things this week. And I pray that you do too. Let us rest in the God who builds his kingdom with a motley crew. He is the God who uses this group, these broken people, to build his kingdom But as we look to the future, there's still this reality of a now and a then because the now is not looking so good. Because in verses 8 to 13, we see that God is building his kingdom with a shepherd king. Verse 8, O tower of the flock, daughter of Zion, hold on, Jerusalem. You, the last holdouts of a decimated kingdom, there is still hope. Hope, you little flock will be led by a new shepherd king. Not like those other idiots. Not those ones that devoured you and led you astray. But a shepherd king. And even though this time is like the groaning of agony a woman in labor goes through, There's not much comfort in these verses, is there? But aren't all Christians told very straightforward that we must prepare for hardships? If anybody said, come to Jesus, if anyone has ever told you, come to Jesus and your life will be okay, (laughs) lie to your face. Go confront them. Or tell me about it and I'll go confront them. (laughs) I'm really good at that. 
Everyone should expect hardships when it comes to our vices, right? Like if I'm really bad with my money, the outcome of being bad with my money is what? I'm always broke. Or I don't have anything. That's a vice. Right? If I always have to go eat out at McDonald's, the vice of that will be someone getting a little larger. We all can expect hardships for our vices, but Christians can expect opposition because of our virtues. Because it's those virtues that testify the Savior that the world hates. As John 15. See, for the Christian, this is the reality of our present situation. Just as the Israelites were groaning because of the coming loss of the kingship and the exile, they're still looking. This is still going to happen. Jesus, in a hundred years, they will be brought into exile. Babylon comes back, destroys Jerusalem, and they all go away. So they're still looking at the now and then and going, ah, this isn't looking too good. How are God's people to face those massive challenges that come our way? And the answer to now, Micah says, is then. The key to persevering with joy in the present difficulties is the knowledge of what will happen. This is even when we come into communion. We do this until when? He comes back. We remember he is coming back. The realities don't change, but my perspective does, doesn't it? As my eyes are raised to the cross and I'm reminded of the then. You know, you look around the world, and Canada, we're so blessed. We're so blessed in this country. People want to come here all the time. You know, there's people escaping the U.S. because Canada's better. Right? Canada's a great country. I love this country. But sometimes we can get a little blind sometimes by all of our prosperity. You know, there's Christians all over the world who are suffering, suffering every day. So how in the world do they continue on? It's their perspective. It's the cross. Because verse 10, For now you shall go out from the city. For now this is your present reality. This is only... For now, why? There you shall be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemy. Do you see how God will deliver? By redemption. You know, for me, I was, I'll be honest, I, I was struggling this week. I was really feeling down. Feeling a little bit on the depressed side. And I, and I was like getting into the text and like, I don't even really want to do this. But you see what happens when in my struggling states, I come to the word of God and I'm reminded of the greatness and the goodness of who he is. You see what happens? There's a then and a now. A now and a then. God, forgive me for losing perspective. Praise be to God. This is only momentary. This is only momentary. You are so good. Do you see how God will deliver? By redemption. There you shall be rescued. And Micah goes on. There the Lord will redeem you from the hands of your enemies. God will deliver his people from the strong enemy by the power of his own might. Again, going back. 
It's not by my might. It's not by my hustle. It's only by God. Our biggest deliverance, ultimately, is from the guilt and the power of our sins. Our fullest sense of God's redemption of his people is through the cross. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 1 verse 2, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Remember that old hymn by Charles Wesley, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing? Remember that line? He breaks the power of reigning sin. He sets the prisoners free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. Our true bondage is to sin and guilt, so the true redemption is by the death of Christ, whose blood paid the penalty for our sins and that we deserve. Christ died for our sins, and he rose again. And then he continues on in verses 11 to 13, and this is a magnificent picture. It feels like the nations are against you, O Jerusalem, he says, because God has actually gathered them Yes, they're going to do some judging, but God is actually gathering them together to make life a little easier for you. Because what's going to happen? They're going to be on the threshing floor. The tables will turn. God will remember his promise. The presence in some ways is crumbling all around us. There's suffering, there's attacks, there's conquest, there's captivity. For Israelite, there's exile and humiliation. But this is not the last word. This is not the end. Christians aren't exempt from this type of suffering. You just have to read about the lives of the early Christian apostles. All except one was reputed to have been martyred. All of them but one. Suffering became such a badge of Christian discipleship that Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3 verse 12, all who live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. There is still the not yet. It's so easy to get discouraged. Trust me, I know. And Christians must realize that their final victory will come and that they can hope in their faithful, covenant, promise-keeping God. In the midst of crisis, all of our enemies will one day be completely defeated, just as they are here in Micah. The suffering martyrs in the book of Revelations cry, How long, O Lord? And God's response is, Just a little bit more time. Satan's sin and death will be finally defeated by Jesus, the ultimate shepherd king. So we all face suffering. But my question is this, is how do you counteract that suffering if you don't remind yourself of who God is? You can't. Get into the word of God. Bask in the wonder of who he is and what he has done throughout history. Remind yourself of the God who saved you and what he has done for you. This pain will give birth to new life. As the exiles will be rescued and redeemed from their enemies by the Lord, their Redeemer, Jesus is building his kingdom as the shepherd king. And so what? What we see here is a shepherd unlike the shepherds of God's people. 
We see our God is the God of the broken who calls the lame and binds them up and uses them to build his kingdom. It gives hope for me that God will use a broken man like me. I pray every day that God would use us. So we're praying for it. We pray for it this morning. That God would use us to to go and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And Lord, let's be bold with that prayer. God, may you use that broken witness to call people to yourself. May we see conversions. Will you pray with me in that? Will we rely upon the God who is the God of the broken, who calls the lame and binds them up and uses them to build his kingdom? Let us continue to worship our awesome God.